Well, good morning. We are in the book of Habakkuk, as Dave was saying. Uh, we are going to spend the majority of our time there until Easter. So read up on that. Hopefully you've been reading that book. It's a, it's a minor prophet book. Uh, kind of as it gets closer from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's close to the New Testament. That's where the minor prophets kind of settle, is right there up by the New Testament. So the book of Habakkuk, it's just a couple pages long, three chapters. It's short, you might miss it. So uh, flip to it one page at a time, okay? It's too bad the page numbers aren't all the same, right? Some giant print Bibles, some large print, some thin line, it's all different. So Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, we, we started it last week. Now, this, this message uh, of Habakkuk is, is a, a vision that God gave to the prophet Habakkuk, and, and he takes this vision, and, and he has this conversation, like, during this time he's in, in this vision with God, and he, he speaks. And last week, we started this series uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and it's, it's Habakkuk going to God, and, and he enters into this conversation with God and seeks to understand and reconcile God's sovereignty and goodness with the chaos and violence that are happening all around the world. Uh, we saw last week this burden of sin that, that Habakkuk experienced just, just by looking around at his own nation. As, as Israel went into turmoil and chaos and plunged into violence and depravity, he, he asked God, he cried out, God, how long is this going to take? We're going to see that echoed again today in some of the passages we'll be, we'll be looking at. But last week, I, I, when I said that, I talked about how long. He cried out, God, how long? How long are you going to put up with this? How long is this going to ha- happen and, and go on? And, and remember the response I gave you of, of kind of how we should look at that? And as we do some self-inspection uh, in the mirror, as we look at our own heart, we really, it, it's like God saying, how long? How long are you going to stay this way? You're crying out, how long is it going to be this way? That's a good question. How long are you going to continue in this pattern of unbelief, this pattern of rejecting me, this pattern of sin and doing whatever you want? How long? And we're going to see that played out today in, uh, in this passage as well as, as others. So the conversation begins, and, and the prophet asks this question, like, what, what, are you, what are you up to, God? Why are you not doing something? He's crying out. He has this burden of sin in his heart over what's going on around the world. And, and we, we talked again about looking in the mirror at our own selves, that should, we should also be grieved by our sin. We should look in the mirror and say, I, I don't like the way I'm behaving. I don't like the way I'm rejecting God or, or, or not living by the standard he set. I, I, we should check our own heart. And the, it should grieve us not only when others sin, but when we sin. When sin is present, present we should be grieving over that. Uh, so he cried out fr- uh, to God, and today we see how God answers his servant. Now the answer he gets is not the answer he's expecting. As a prophet of God, it, it, there's, there's a pattern we see in Israel's history too. And, and he's a prophet of God. He's wondering, God, are you going to send revival to your people? We're going to see your people just get on fire for you, and they're going to be loving you and, and turn to you and get everything out that should be out. I want to see revival happen, right? Or, or that he would judge the evil leaders and remove them, and then he would, he would reestablish righteousness in the land, that, that it would be, a, again, a country, a land, uh, a people of his own possession that re- reflected God's nature. But we see that pattern, and that's, that's why he's wondering. We see this pattern in Israel, right? Where, where Israel loves God and follows God, and then they see a squirrel, right? And they go the other direction. And there's sin all around. And, and, and really, we see them looking to other nations. We'll see that today as well. They look to other nations as examples. And they, want, they, they take on their, their policies and their procedures and their, their preferences. And they, they are enticed by that. And they make themselves their own gods. And sin abounds. And what happens in Israel's history is usually something occurs. They, they hit rock bottom, in essence. But they don't always. 
but they hit rock bottom, and there's a place they cry out, and they, they come to their senses, and they repent. They turn from their sin, and they cry out to God, God, deliver us. We want to be your people again. And then God sends, sends a rescuer, sends a judge or a king to reestablish order and rule, and, and they come back to the straight and narrow, back to honoring God, back to being a people of God's own possession. And Habakkuk is wondering, is this going to happen here? Well, that's great, but the problem, in the pattern, there's a, there's a, a moment of repentance that comes before revival. There is no repentance here. There's Habakkuk, a part of the remnant few, few faithful who are crying out because of the nation's debauchery. There is no repentance. There's no desire to repent. So when God responds, it's not the answer that Habakkuk was hoping for. It's something different. And, and when he responds back, today we're going to see this in the text, when he responds, God does not give him an explanation. God gives him a revelation. Uh, understand that. God doesn't have to explain himself to us. He's God. But he does reveal himself to us. And we do see it as, even as, we, as he reveals himself to us, then we can understand and our hearts can wrap our, wrap our minds and hearts around who God is and what he's doing and why he's doing it. So we'll see an, an explanation form, but he gives a revelation, which is great. It's just like God, right, in times of trouble or doubt, to give us a grander view of himself. That we could wrap our hearts around a bigger picture of who God is and, and how faithful he is and how good he is and how compassionate he is. See, the Lord doesn't owe us any explanation, but he does graciously continue to reveal himself to us who seek him. To us who seek him. So the prophet gets his answer. We're going to pray over our text and then we're going to read verses 5 through 11. Let's pray. Father, we, we pause now to just acknowledge your faithfulness to us. That we, we can't even fathom how faithful you are, and, and the ways that you complete your faithfulness. But God, today as we look to your word and as we examine our own hearts, God, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to it. That God, our desire would be to humble ourselves before you, that we would desire to be a people of your own possession. God, and we know that there are times we fall away from you. There are times we sin and we choose to be indifferent to you, and, and God, that separates us from you. We know there's judgment for that. And God, that you are jealously desiring us to be yours, to be representing you in what we do and say. So help us to do that. God, if there are areas of sin in our life that we, we are seeing and feeling exposed, God, I pray that you would help us repent of that sin, to leave it behind, that we would turn to you and we'd run to you and run to your compassion and your mercy and your steadfast and faithful love. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Habakkuk chapter 1. We went over 1 through 4 last week, so this week... 5 through 11. You ready? God responds. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. 
Their strength is their God. Now, I, I mentioned this last week, and as we look at, look at the prophets, look at the minor prophets, books like this, it can be a real bummer reading a text like that. Like, man, what is going on? That sounds horrible. Let's go to the Gospels again, right? We have to understand, and we talked about this when we talked about the Gospels, the Gospel is, is interlaced with all of this, right? It's, a, it's the tapestry of Scripture. It's the tapestry of the Gospel that you pull that thread, and it's going to touch every part of this. So we're going to see that, hopefully, in clear view today as we, as we navigate this text. But God responds and says, listen, judgment is upon us. Judgment is coming on Israel. You're not going to avoid it. So today I want to look at four different things that, that, kind of show, that were shown through judgment. Okay? So the judgment of sin, number one, it calls us to be ready. The judgment of sin calls us to be ready. Go to verse 5. It says, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. So he responds back to the prophet and says, this is not just about me and you. I know you cried out, but this is about the whole nation, and you all should look. Look and observe. And, and see, those, those are great instructions for us, right? We, we ought to pay attention to what's going on around us. Pay attention to what God might be up to. We like to be in our own little worlds, don't we? We think that our own little worlds are always about us. And, and we, go, we, we think we can go about our own business, doing whatever we want and becoming more and more indifferent to God. That's how we often live our lives. But we ought to be ready. He's saying, listen, judgment is coming. We ought to know that and be ready for that. There's going to be a judgment, a time when we'll have to give an account for every bit of that indifference we've had to God, every bit of sin that we've had. But God is patient with us, wanting us to be ready. He wants us to be found faithful. And, and, and in Israel's history, see, here's the deal. We tend to think this is harsh. Like, whoa, this is a harsh judgment. And wait till we get to the description of it in a few minutes. Like, it is brutal. And that's one of the points. Judgment's brutal. And we think it's too harsh. You know, it's interesting, like in my own experience with my, my parents growing up in discipline, I would kind of, kind of try to work the system, play the system, right? I, I would rather get in trouble with my mom than my dad. But I would have to play the system just right to get enough punishment out of her, but not too much, that I didn't laugh at it or mock it. Because if I did, wait till your dad gets home. And it's like, oh, I didn't want to go there, right? There's, there's a discipline there. So, and we, we tend to think, even with that, with my mom, like she's a compassionate, grace-filled woman, right? She, she didn't want to give us a, 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 a grounding from something or, or discipline us all the time. She, she wanted us to obey and to be, she wanted to be compassionate. So we worked at angle too. We might, we might do something, break, break the law just enough, break the rules just enough, but not too much, right? Just enough to have some irritation, but, the, but compassion extended, Instead of going farther where it's just the law, the letter of the law come down, right? It's like a hammer. But when we see this text, what we have to understand too, like Israel, it's not just Israel made a mistake and God's like, bam, I'm going to squash you like a bug. That's not what's taking place here. This is a pattern, a historical pattern of behavior that came from years and years and years of God's faithful love and compassion through it. You see, we, we tend to think, oh man, how can God be so angry? Well, I mean, it's sin. Sin is sin. And we talk about, you know, are these people getting what they deserve? Really, if we all got what we deserved, we'd be in bad shape, wouldn't we? We know what we deserve. What's interesting we'll find today is that God is, is slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's, he's wanting them to repent and come to him. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Chronicles. It's, it's more towards the front of your Bible. The book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. It's the last chapter of that book, so it's right before Ezra. Second Chronicles, and I, I just want to read a portion of that passage to you 
regarding Israel. And, and you might actually, in your small groups with your discussions and the back sheet of your, your notes, uh, you could write this down. Read all of uh, chapter 36, because all of this has to do with a bigger picture of what's going on in Israel. I mentioned last week, historically, in the setting of where we are, uh, we're just after King Josiah, when, when the book of Habakkuk happens, and before um, Nebuchadnezzar comes and sacks Jerusalem and, and takes his people into captivity. So we're just before that. And, and listen, the text here says that, that be ready, be on the lookout. And he's talking to Habakkuk again. Listen, this is going to happen, and you're going to see this come to fruition in your own lifetime. Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Daniel were all part of this exile. They were all part of this judgment and went into exile with the Babylonians. They experienced this firsthand. They experienced something so astounding that they wouldn't even believe it, even though God is telling them this is going to happen. It's going to be astounding. But, but what, it, what does this look like? This call to be ready. What is, how is God treating us? So if we look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we're going to start in verse 14, and we'll go through the first part of verse 17 together. He says, uh, in verse 14, he says, all the leaders, this is after Josiah, he's, he's dead now, Jeconiah is king, and, and they're just going hog wild, Israel is. All the leaders of the priest and the people multiplied their unfaithful deeds, imitating all the detestable practices of the, what's the word? Nations. And they defiled the Lord's temple that he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Think about this. Here Habakkuk is, seeing his own nation in distress and sinning all the more. And he cries out to God, how long, God, how long are you going to put up with this? We need revival. We need the change here. And then God, God's going to say in a minute, like, listen, the problem with your nation is that you are looking to other nations. And it's interesting to, to see in Habakkuk, what is he, his, God's response was what? Look at the nations and, and observe, be utterly astounded. So he's, follow this, he's saying, listen, you've looked at the nations and mimicked the nations, you're following their lead all the while. Look, this is what's coming to you now. Everything you've mimicked, everything you've wanted, everything you've desired of them, you're going to get. You're going to get just what you were looking for. Carrying on in Chronicles. So he says, this, they've defiled it and they're looking to the other nations. But the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word against them by the hand of his messengers, sending them time and time again. For he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. That's amazing of God, right? Was it, what, go on. But they, they kept ridiculing God's messengers despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the day, until the Lord's wrath was so stirred up against his people that there was no remedy. So he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans. You want the other nations? You will get it. But time and time again, God had compassion on them. God was crying out to them that they would repent, that they would restore and return back to him time and time again. But they can continue to ridicule and, and reject God's plan. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is gracious. God is kind. God is loving. God is compassionate. He is showing us that we are sinful and separated from Him and that we need Him and He wants us to come to faith in Him. But He will not delay forever. 
he will not delay forever, and we are called to be ready. Matthew 24, 44 says this. Jesus says, this is why you're to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect him. He's coming. And we can, we can play faithful. We can play church all day long. But when he comes, the question is, are we going to be found faithful? Are we going to be found repentant? Are we going to be found in a place where we have trusted Christ as Savior and he is now our everything? Because he's asking now, how long? How long are you going to continue this? How long am I going to continue this? God's waiting for us to repent. Be ready. That leads us to the next part. The judgment of sin, number two, is astounding. The judgment of sin is astounding. He says it in verse 5. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I'm doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. I'm I'm describing this to you. I'm going to go on describing this to you. And when it comes, you're not going to even, you're going to be like, what is this? I didn't even know it was coming. It's astounding. And, and I want to look at a couple things. As we talk about the astoundingness of God's judgment, uh, it's important for us to understand two aspects of this because they, they need to go together. T- we, t- we read a text like this and say, wow, God's judgment is, is harsh. That is brutal. That's the next point, right? Brutal. But there's another part of the astoundingness of God's judgment that we, can, we need to look at. Right? It's, it's always just like God to show up, though, in ways that we never imagined. That's how God operates, isn't it? And God typically operates in a way that seems like that's so grace-filled and so merciful, right? But there's also a, a judgment side of that as well. So there's two aspects here. The one aspect is, is the how long. The God says, how long are you going to continue this? And see, that's, that's his mercy. That's his grace. That's his compassion. That's what we just saw in Chronicles, where God continually said, listen, I'm sending prophets to you. I'm sending messengers. I'm giving you the word. I'm, please believe. Please repent, repent. Please come and be a people for my own possession. I want you to be that. God longs for that, and, and we think, well, that, that's pretty merciful. That's pretty great, but we should be astounded by that, and we should be even more astounded by that when we hear of the astoundingness of God's judgment. You see, when the penalty is small and it doesn't really matter, the mercy isn't that small, is it? When you get off from running, to, doing a California uh, stop at a stop sign, when you get off for, do, for doing that instead of like drunk driving, it's a little bit different, isn't it? There, there's grace upon grace when you see how deep our sin goes. And, and our, our sin goes deep, and judgment for that sin is deep, and it's astounding as well. So God, God has a judgment that's astounding, and, it, and, it's, and we'll see it in a minute. It's brutal. But, but when we see that, we should see God's mercy as astounding as well, God's forgiveness as astounding as well. I'm going to read a passage out of Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 6. And, and I, want, I want you to see and we'll build this picture of this astounding mercy of God. Right, that, that has to go along with his judgment. Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Right, how long? Are you going to do this? Are you ready? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. So there's this, this hey, there's this chance. You have a chance while the Lord might be found. It also implies there will be a day when it is too late. You won't have that opportunity anymore. He says, so let him return to the Lord so that, so he, he, the Lord, may have compassion on him and return to our God for he will freely forgive. That is deeply astounding, amazing mercy, isn't it? It's so rich and full of, of grace 
and compassion. That's who the Lord is. He's compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, wanting us to repent, wanting us to restore and return to Him. That's who He is. His mercy is astounding. And, and here's what happens. We have this, these two ideas of being astounding. We don't reconcile that very well because, first of all, we tend to look at other people. They don't deserve that, right? We like to point fingers. They don't, they don't deserve that. All the while saying what? Oh, I do. Well, but you think I don't. See, we don't deserve that astounding, astounding mercy. So we try to, it's hard to reconcile that. Is God really that gracious? Does he really freely forgive that much? Yeah, he does. The opposite is true, though, too. Will, will, we really, will our sin really separate us from God and send us to hell? Yeah, it, it really will. There's real judgment upon sin. And because God is perfect and holy and pure and just, he cannot tolerate sin or be in the presence of sin. So if we aren't pure and holy and just, we can't be with God. But God is astounding in judgment and astounding in mercy. How does that happen? We can't fathom that. We can't understand the depths of judgment. We can't understand the, the heights of mercy. Well, he goes on in this passage in Isaiah. He says, return to our God who will freely forgive. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For, his high, or for, the, for the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This astoundingness of God's judgment and this astoundingness of God's mercy are beyond our ways of, th- of thinking. We can't wrap our minds fully around it. But the deeper we see one, the deeper we should see the other. They go hand in hand. Uh, in 1 Peter, it, it kind of breaks this down a little bit too. I want to read a passage from there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Uh, For it stands in Scripture, or it said in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion and choose an honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Right Here's this astounding mercy showing up, talking about Jesus as our cornerstone, that he's the one, that, that our belief in him, our faith in him will not be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. Right? That's honor. We're going to be honored by God because of belief in Christ? Absolutely. That's that astounding mercy. But for the unbelieving, uh-oh, here's the astounding judgment, right? That stone that the builders rejected, is the one that's become the cornerstone. And the stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. There's judgment to be had here. You're, you're going the wrong direction. You're stumbling over Christ who is there saying, look how astounding my mercy is. No, 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 no. I'm rejecting you. I'm going to reject you. Well, there's judgment for that. They stumble and they disobey. They were destined for this. But you, astounding mercy, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Darkness and light, astounding judgment, astounding mercy. Once you were not a people, you were judged, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, rejection of Christ, rejection of God is an astounding judgment. But receiving Christ, that reception of Christ, that faith in Christ is a, is a resounding, astounding mercy that we have to understand couples both ways. So it's astounding. He says, this, you're going to be astounded. Well, my hope is that you and I would be astounded by judgment. And what we're about to read, we should be astounded by it. But in the middle of that, we should be astounded by the richness of God's mercy 
all the while saying, how long are you going to do this? You don't have that much time. Do it now. Come to faith now. So God's judgment of sin is astounding. Number three, God's judgment of sin is brutal. It's brutal. It was, it was tough going through this text, figuring out how, what kind of points can we make here. What can I say about this next section? This is just brutal. That's, that's what we say. It's brutal. Let's look at it. Habakkuk 1, starting in verse 6. He says, look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Again, he says, look, right? You've been looking to the nations? Look to the nation. There they are. The Babylonians, they're coming for you. That bitter and impetuous nation that marches across the earth in open spaces and seizes territories and on its own. Now listen, there are a couple things through this text that we're going to see. God is a jealous God for a people for his own possession. And you think about the Israelites, when this is long after they had, they had come out of Egypt, long after they had crossed the, and, and spent time in the wilderness and crossed the sea and crossed the Jordan and gone into the land of Canaan and, and displaced all the people there and God gave them the land. Long after this, right? And there's this cycle of, of mis, misbehave, or, uh, misbelief and, and, and unbelief and, and misbehavior going on in their lives all the while. But I want you to see some of the, the words that are used here were similar to what, how God used and, and what God did in Israel. It's not, it's not by coincidence that it's here. He says, this nation that I'm talking about, this nation that I'm going to use, this nation that's going to be my, my instrument right now, well, that was Israel, wasn't it? Wasn't that, didn't that used to be Israel? Now it's this other nation, the one you've been looking to. They're horrible people, but I'm going to use them anyway. He says, this nation is, is one who marches across earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. Does that sound familiar? That was Israel. That was God ushering Israel into the promised land. I'm going to give you the land. Everything you touch will be yours. I'll, I'll displace everybody there. This is your land. They are, they are unbelieving pagan people who worship a false, false god or many false gods. They're toast. You're in. But now that they're in there, they've disobeyed and they've become the same as Canaan was. Now the Babylonians are going to displace them. They're a fierce and terrifying uh, people. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves, right? Whatever they want, they get. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Remember what Habakkuk cried out for in the first part. He's, he's, there's violence in my nation. There's violence among my people. It's everywhere. Yeah, because they're looking to them. You want violence? I'll show you violence. Their faces are set in determination. Now, before we read this next part, remember back the Abrahamic covenant, right? God made a covenant with Abraham, right? He said, through you, you're gonna, through you and the seed that's going to come from you, uh, many people are going to be blessed. Many nations will be blessed. Uh, your, your inhabitants, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. Look what he says here. They come in violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. Israel is nothing. Well, they should be everything. Israel is becoming nothing because of their sin and their disobedience, because of their rebellion. Babylon's just picking them up as prisoners like sand. This is easy. No big thing for me. That should be Israel. That's Israel's birthright. That's Israel's heritage. When this is presented from Habakkuk to his people, this should be a bitter, bitter reminder of their heritage of where they came from. 
they should absolutely understand that that, that is us, and we should not be treated as prisoners as sand. We, we are the inhabitants of God's nation. That God is going to bless the world through us, and we have done something horribly, horribly wrong. We were the people of God, and our heritage has been tainted. It's bitter now. Why? Why is that kind of heritage bitter? Well, the, we talk about this judgment, right? The judgment's brutal. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. Sin is bitter because sin leads to death. You know, our theme during this, this series is worry to worship. It's, it's taking our despair and our, our worry and our concern and turning it around, even though the circumstances may, may still be there, but turning it around, letting God be faithful to turn us to a place of trust in Him where we have worship, where we have rejoicing, where we can, we can move free from worry in the midst of pain and agony, in the midst of despair, in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. We can fear no evil, for He is with us. He is going to be our comfort. And, and this is so bitter, and we see that the wages of sin is death. That should cause deep worry. That's how judgment is astounding. We'll read this, we read this list and see this is going to be horrible for these people. Is there anything more horrible than death? Eternal separation from God. It's bitter, but it goes on. We move from worry to worship. Well, how do we do that? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. We... That bitterness of sin is there, but it's not left, meant to left be there. God wants to free us from that guilt and that shame. He wants to take that off of our shoulders. That burden is not ours to carry. It's His. He'll carry it. Yes, judgment is brutal, but Jesus took the brutal judgment upon Himself for us when He died on that cross. Jesus took the place that we deserve to be in, and it was astounding. The brutality of judgment is astounding. But in the same moment of judgment, there was triumph from the cross and through the resurrection. And that mercy is even more astounding. We all deserve death because of sin. But through Christ, God's plan is to give us life. Deep mercy that we don't deserve. Later on as we go through this text in Habakkuk, we're going to see that the righteous are those who live by faith. They live by faith. We don't live by our own agenda. We don't live by worry. We don't live by fear. We do if we're in sin. But when we trust Christ, when we embrace God for who He is and let Him be our Redeemer, then we have life. Then we have life. Finally, number four. Judgment of God is not to be mocked. It is not to be mocked. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1 again, verses 10 and 11. Talking about this nation. Now I want you to understand something. There's, and we'll see a little more of this in a minute, but there's, there's Israel and then there's the Gentiles that are just all messed up, right? The heathens out there. And we, we'll see as, as Paul preaches to these groups that salvation is for both. And God does not, God, he knows that this, these people, the, 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 uh, the Chaldeans, right? The Babylonians, they are absolutely horrible. That there's nothing good about them. He is using them as his tool in his power for judgment. But there's judgment upon them as well. And we'll see that in the coming weeks, that they are judged as well. Verses 10 and 11. They mock 
kings. This is the attitude of the nation. They mock kings, and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they will sweep by like the wind and pass through. This last part of this verse. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Now listen, first thing here is there's a mocking attitude coming from Israel. They're looking out to the nations and they're mimicking these nations who are mocking God, who mock leaders, who rulers are a joke to them. That's how some treat God. Oh, that's a joke. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, don't mock that. They mock those guys. And then, and then he says, God says, listen, you're not off the hook, but neither are they. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Not only is Israel guilty, so is Babylon because they mock. They think they're the ones that are all powerful. They think they're the ones that are going to take you out. It's me. I'm the only power. They only do it because I allow. They are nothing without God's allowing that. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. Paul is, is preaching here, and, uh, and I would encourage you to read the, read the whole text in your group. There's a great, it's a great passage, long passage, chapter 13. So we're going to start in verse 16 together in this passage. Um, but Paul is preaching, and he's trying to, trying to let people know, like, listen, there's astounding, astounding judgment coming, and there's also astounding, astounding mercy. And because there's mercy, and because there's judgment, God is not to be mocked. We should beware. So Paul stood up in verse 16. He, he stood up and motioned with his hand like this, right? Paul was a preacher that preached with his hands like me. You guys get that? That's all right. <laughs> Paul stood up and he motioned with his hands. I don't know what he was doing, right? He said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. Sound familiar? Listen, right? Beware. Be ready. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out uh, with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. You see that? For 40 years, he what? He put up with them. Is God compassionate? Is God slow to anger? Is he rich in mercy? Is Yes. God put up with them for so long. He put up with them. Uh, after, and, and after destroying several nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. Paul's preaching this, right? Giving a history lesson. After this, he gave them judges like Sam, or the, until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, he promised, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. So he's setting the stage. He's given a history lesson saying, listen, all of this has happened. God has continued to be faithful. God's hesed love, his faithful love, his unconditional covenantial love for his people has brought them to this place and given them Jesus. Amen? What do you do now? There's always a choice. You can reject him and experience astounding judgment. Or you can embrace him and experience astounding mercy. Jump down to verse 38 with me. You can read the other stuff later. 
Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So listen, there's always this argument. Well, you've got to follow the law, all the law. The book of Galatians, it's all about that as well. And, and they, I, we want the law, and it's Jesus plus more. We can make our own righteousness. And basically, basically you, when you want to try to follow the law, the law is there to say, you can't follow it. You're not perfect. You'll never live up to that. And what people understand, they just can't live up to that standard, and there's no other way to go. They just abandon it and do whatever they want. He's trying to tell them that's not the way to go. Jesus took care of all the law, all the prophets. You can trust in faith and be justified by him because you can't by the law. So in verse 40, verse 40, he says, So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Then he quotes Habakkuk. He quotes what we read today. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Saying, listen, here's the option. Here's Jesus. Here's your sin. Here's Jesus. You can be judged and condemned by astounding judgment, or you can be justified and forgiven by astounding grace, astounding mercy. But do not mock God's judgment. Know it's coming and embrace Him as Savior. Last passage I want to read is out of Proverbs. If you turn with me, Proverbs chapter 1, right after the book of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. It says, wisdom, verse 20, verse 20 right? Okay, 20 through 33. Wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. Listen, what does wisdom say? What is the conviction from God to his people saying how long Habakkuk cries out to God how long God says how long how long inexperienced ones will you love ignorance how long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge he says there's another option verse 23 if you respond to my warning then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words But verse 24, more mocking comes. Since I called out to you, you refused. I extended my hand, and no one paid attention. Since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I, in turn, will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and when calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stresses come over you. Then, then they will call to me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They were not interested in my counsel and rejected all my correction. Verse 31, they then, they will eat the fruit of their way. They will be glutted with their own schemes. Listen, we cannot pretend 
that we can go out and do whatever we want, and when we just feel bad about it, say, God, God, I cry out to you, help me, help me, help me. All that while, having rejected him and pushed him away at every single encounter, it doesn't work that way. God, I just I can't handle this one on my own, but when, I, when you help me here, I'll fix it, I'll be okay. No. When we cry out for astounding mercy, it has to come from a humble, absolute, empty heart and spirit. We have to let go of everything else and say that all of what I was doing, I, I am not a part of that anymore. I am done with that. I'm not putting a little Band-Aid on to fix this. This is a way bigger issue than a Band-Aid issue. We talked about that a while ago, right? The idea of, of the cure for cancer is not fixed with a Band-Aid or stitches. It has to be done from the inside. And that's what God is longing for. So in Proverbs, it's saying, listen, you're foolish to mock. You're foolish to continue to reject. You'll reject and reject and reject. And one day you'll cry and God's like, you rejected me. This is not a real cry. This is not real repentance. And I know that as a parent, right? And you know that as a parent. I know when my, my daughter and my son are really repentant. I know when they're really sorry for what they did. And when they're just doing what, I, what they think I want to hear. Don't mock God. Because he will say, you wanted to eat it, so eat it. You wanted the other nations, you can have them. You wanted violence, you got it. You will get exactly what you asked for. Exactly what is deserved. But God is still rich in mercy. It says, for the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Verse 33. Here's our but verse. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. God says, if you really want to listen, you really want to hear me crying out to you to come to me, to be a people of my own possession. If you really want to humble your heart and turn from your own ways and embrace me, I will gladly be your God. And I will move you out of any kind of worry and into worship, out of any kind of distress and into comfort, out of any despair and into rejoicing. We see here judgment is real and God should not be mocked. But instead we should be astounded astounded as we see the depth and brutality of judgment we should be astounded by the kindness and mercy of god and romans tells us it's god's kindness that leads us to repentance knowing and being astounded by the kindness of god leads us to repentance and he extends that grace to us to those that receive him by faith and they're secured by him that's that's the message there is judgment there is deep mercy. How long will it take for us to turn to mercy? Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, we are thankful for your great love for us. We're thankful for your word. God, and even as we tackle a text today like Habakkuk, it's, it's difficult because there's so much judgment and God, it seems like so much hellfire and brimstone, but God, we need to understand and know that that's exactly the judgment coming against sin. But God, but thank you, God, for your rich, rich mercy that even as astounding and brutal as judgment may be, 
your grace and your mercy and your, un, your unconditional faithful love for us is even more astounding. So Father, we, we repent of our own sin. We repent of our, our ways. We turn from the things we thought were working that aren't. And God, our desire is to embrace you in faith and trust you in faith and to be a people of your own possession. We don't want to be our own anymore. We want to be yours. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.